This is preambling, where we turn our useless banter into a whole show so we can cut the fat from our normal episodes. In this episode, we recap the slap attack aftermath, midterm electoral shifts, a fictional Presby Baptist friendship, and Iowa Caps faith crisis emotional death spirals. Hello, grace and peace. We're taking anarchy to church here in the Anarchist Bible Study. I'm Josh, a.k.a. Iowan Cap. And I'm Jeff Park, a.k.a. the Jasper Trafficker. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> that was too inside baseball for for, for me. I'm, I'm just... Uh... <laughs> oh, man. Uh, did you... Okay. Um... Oh my goodness, I was going to say something and I just blanked on it. I'm doing great. This is, uh, we're off to a great start. Uh, so, Hello. Oh, what's so happening? Hard. Jeff, you boomer. I love that you just took all of the focus away from my failing to have a follow-up to your AKA. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for taking all the, all the, all the blame away. <laughs> oh, crap. Um... So here's the deal. So, so, uh, current events, we couldn't come up with anything. And since every single podcast has had a take on Will Smith, um, it, they, it's made the rounds. We thought there was nothing and, left to talk about. And then Jeff said, he still has something more to say. And since tragically you lost your just flaming hot take, I know um, lost, that is lost to the sands of time. That is just, I, I, and I can't, I don't think I could do that again. Like, I really just, I cried. I laughed. Yeah. I learned yeah. something about myself in the process. I really, I really, I, I hate to say it. I think I, I don't want to know how to, without putting this in too strong of a way, I think I really stared down my own metaphorical alopecia in order to. <laughs> To give that take and i came back on the other on the other end uh bald before god though haired in reality and uh i think uh it's it's a uh, it's a valuable moment of podcasting history that just wasn't meant to be shared with the world you know it's it's the, it's the greatest song in the world by tenacious d that just it's 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 it will only be known in 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 tribute so you know so it's just you know just you and me it's a special you and me moment that we're we're just gonna have to keep to ourselves yeah yeah because recording wise it's the i wish i could remember the end of this joke but uh it's it's uh two minutes and 42 seconds or whatever that uh whatever that song was that's that's just silence <laughs> on the <recording>. yes. <laughs> i can't remember <sighs> i can't remember the name of the song <laughs> anyway <laughs> yeah recording wise that's how it came out yeah yep um uh but yes what i mean since we are the uh podcast of record for uh for your uh will smith uh, and Oscars uh, news. Uh, then, then we do. We uh, we do need to mention um, that uh, the Oscars did ban Will Smith for ten years uh, because of the slap. Um, unexpectedly, though, unexpectedly, though, um, hundreds of thousands of people are hunting down Chris Rock to try to slap him um, because they also would like to never have to think about the Oscars again. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. You know what? I gotta say, um, okay. You gotta push me into take, into a take, push me into a, to a take. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't cool. It's not cool to slap a guy. Okay. You, you know, but 10 years, that seems much, but you know, that's the closest thing I've gotten to caring about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah what 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 was harvey weinstein's band by the way uh, oh, oh. oh mm, mm. i guess it's worse to slap a never mind um should go no further anyway uh so <laughs> um one thing that we wanted to talk about though we there's there was something that we we thought was worth 
may be discussing. Um, a take on Twitter, um, and we're gonna go to that screen if you're watching. If you're watching on video, if you're listening, then just sit in. Um, you know, just go ahead and sit in your jealousy that you don't get to look at our our screens. You're just listening to us speaking. Um, so uh, basically, uh, I'll I'll just go back to the original tweet right here. Um, from from Maudie 480, it says. It's a, a picture right here of from an MB, MSNBC um, report of some kind, and it gives a congressional preference shift from 2018 to now. And um, wh- okay, so there's two rows that are like, eh, like yeah, we kind of saw that coming. Like men, no no degree goes from. Republican plus eight to Republican plus 20, which is a shift of plus 12 in the Republican direction. Women, no degree goes from Democrat plus three to Democrat plus one, a two step higher in, in Republican. Now, why do I say that doesn't really surprise me? Because usually typically midterm elections, um, don't go well for the in power ones. And so if we're looking at people without no people without degrees, you know, who haven't, been propagandized by the the uh you know the the uh the the you know what do they, what do they call it? the cathedral then um they're they're going to be probably more likely to be against the the current power the currently empowered people but what's fascinating to me okay so women with college and above so college and above there's a four point shift toward democrats so this is against the grain right here but what's fascinating to me, what I found absolutely fascinating, and, and I kept saying there is something to unpack here, was on that top line, men with college and plus, college plus, so a degree and above, have shifted from Democrat plus 16 to Republican plus 10, making a shift of 26 plus. So, so the preference has moved from somewhat strongly Democratic to somewhat strongly Republican from the years 2018 until now. So in four years between the two midterm election cycles. And I thought, I said, you know, this seems to me something worth unpacking. Like what, what, like, what do you think it is? about that that that's causing this shift yeah so it's possible that d plus 16 in 2018 was about as far as you were going to get men with a college degree away from the republican party um because because the trump for whatever else he was was definitely the anti-cathedral candidate. So mm-hmm. about as far as you were going to get them, um, I, I say them, us, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. uh, about as far as, as about as far as, as you were going to get uh, people with degrees away, uh, men in particular with degrees away from Trump would have, um, would have been in that cycle. That makes a lot of sense to me. So that so that that is, it's both. It's 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 that um, Trump was unpopular in 2018 with college educated and h- higher males, and Biden is unpopular now in very unique and extreme ways. Um, and although, although I think, I think there's growth potential in that (laughs) plus 10, frankly, but, um, because in a, in a normal, in a normal off year cycle with an unpopular president, you could, um, you could see that, you could see that numbers in the, uh, in the plus 16 plus 20 range like it was for trump so um so i think i think there's still i think there's still some uh 
possibly some movement potential there, but but largely, largely, I think that uh, that makes sense that you would expect that to be the biggest shift because I think I think um, Trump turned off men like that in one particular kind of way, um, almost like Trump turned them off socially and Biden turns them off more intellectually. And, and like, they know this is, I think they kind of know this is garbage, like that, that um, inflation isn't gonna happen. Okay, it's happening, but it's good. Okay, it's transitory. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, now it's Putin's fault. Like, I think I think that insults the intelligence of, um, especially especially college educated men, probably. Um, sure. And uh, and I think I think it's and and it, and that's not the only thing. It's lots of stuff like that where yeah. where where the Biden message really is: Who are you going to believe me or your lying eyes? <laughs> On yeah on so many things where I think, I think that, I think that jump, that part of the chart makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, uh, but, but yeah, it's, it, it perhaps gets more interesting further down. The, the men would no degree, least surprising thing in the world. If anything, it's, it's surprising. It's not worse. Yeah. To me. Yeah, yeah. I think, for me, the reason why I think that's worth unpacking, the re- what, what I think is, it's probably something of what you're saying that that was probably as that could be as deep as men with college degrees go in the D direction. But there's also a sense like, man, you know, since 2018, the woke stuff has definitely uh. cranked up. And I wonder if, like, there's a sense in which. Like there was a bigger shift in men with no college degree than men with, or that with them in men with a college degree than men with no college degree. And I wonder if that's because men with no degree see it maybe on Twitter, maybe on Facebook, maybe they hear about it on the news, but the men oh, with a college degree, how many men with no degrees do you figure are on Twitter? Well, that's true. Twitter is Twitter is very abnormal. I bet in that regard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sure. But I mean, like, yeah, maybe broaden that out to social media and TV. And sure. yet there's a sense in which I, I really like the men with a college degree, they are faced with it constantly. And they are in the like having gone to the belly of the beast. Like, I think there is a sense in which the cathedrals overplayed its hand and is radicalizing educated men. Like I, there, there's like, cause, cause this fits with also what I've been seeing too. Like it, that it's, it's educated men who are going for right, going, moving in a rightward direction in a huge way. It's not as everyone wants to believe these uneducated hicks. It's all these, um, educated, well, uh, intelligent people who are, who are making this move. And it's because I think they're being radicalized by having been, called evil every day of their life and eventually you can be called evil so many times before you snap you know and that's the thing it, it's it's actually it's not all that surprising to me so so trump was experiencing a dip among men with no degree in the relevant polling period obviously sure because yeah. plus eight plus eight was abnormally close <laughs> for right. for trump at any point with with that with that subset um, so obviously, um, obviously this was, um, probably, um, probably, uh, they, uh, yeah, probably still, I, um, uh, found, found the limits of the office to be disappointing. I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, yep. um, is is probably what some what a big chunk of that is, yeah. um, because because really like Trump was doubling and tripling down on that, yeah. that on that group, right? And, and, yeah, and, and yet, no, you know, by the way, that this is not broken down by race. So we're talking about yeah. this includes non-white men 
yeah. <laughs> with no degree and non-white men with degrees. Yeah. You know, and, and plus there's that, I, I know I'm not, I can't be the only person, of course. And, and as you've said before, the, the plural of, uh, oh shoot, what's, what's, what's the phrase? The plural of so anecdotes data. Yeah, the plural of anecdote is data. Like I can't be I'm the not only sure one I've noticing. I've never said that on the air before, but I do. I do say that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but but I can't be the only one who's who's noticed that there's a growing number of people who consider themselves black conservatives and Hispanic yeah. conservatives, or even better, Hispanic and black white or uh, right wingers of some sort. Like this, it's such a fascinating. Um, thing which you know it, what's so funny is like it kind of undermines the argument of <laughs> of the the whole cultural i you know like i'm i'm i i kind of w- w- waffle on the whole immigration debate um but it kind of i think that kind of undermines part of the argument that they're going to come and change our culture well like seems actually more like <laughs> What's happening is second uh, generation Hispanics are getting thoroughly Americanized and and even to an extent joining in some of the political views of the right even, which is, you know, because America, let's, let's be real. Part of the reason why liberals, there's that, that, um, <laughs> that, that um, meme that liberals and the left hate America. Well, there's a reason for that. They've been, it's built on right wing values of property rights and, right. uh, and and uh, laissez-faire economics, whether or not they've ever actually achieved that, it's it's built on at least this concept that it's good or preferable. Um, but but I think, but there is something I think to to this to this trend that there is a a sh- uh, that huge shift. And and another thing that I've I kind of would say is like you know you're talking about 2018. Part of the reason why you're seeing high Democratic numbers is also because the same trend was going on at that point that is going on now where you have the party, the opposition party gets a boost in the midterms. That's kind of what happens, what typically happens. And, and that same thing was happening then only the opposition party was the Democrats at that time. And and yet there is some, something of like an interesting trend that I see that people are becoming disaffected with Trump, but not with right-wing populism. Like there's, mm. there's a sense where it seems like people are becoming less and less fired up about Trump himself and more and more like, and yet, you know, Matt, they've got Matt Gates, we've got, uh, DeSantis, we've got, you know, all these sort of right wing populists well, that are, and I yeah. think, I think the reason, I think the reason they're mobilizing so strongly, uh, against the don't say gay bill, the parental authority and education bill. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> um, and, and, and why they have been calling him death Santis and predicting, predicting uh, experiments in ma- mass casualty and in Florida and, and yeah. And, um, and all this stuff. Um, I think, I think they understand that, that he very well might be able to run away with the Republican nomination, even if Trump decided to run <laughs> like it, like, because, because he, he actually combines a lot of the populism that was attractive in Trump with knowing what he's doing a, a brain. little better. Let's call it what <laughs> with, it is. With, with, and, with um, so so Tom Woods talks about how when when he was going to loosen a restriction during COVID, he came out and he knew studies by name. He knew the names mm-hmm. of the authors. He knew he knew the size of the samples. He knew like he mm-hmm. knew his stuff. Can like you could never? I don't even have to ask the question. It's a dumb rhetorical question. You could never imagine Trump doing that. Yeah. A, for 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 all his advantages. And, that he yeah. might have had rhetorically and it was not it was not oh man he just seems so facile with the yeah. facts right yeah. like no Absolutely. that's not that's never what it was and so um so i think um i think DeSantis. now i i thought um i thought i thought yunkin might actually give him a run for his money but yunkin hasn't 
really done anything. And fair enough, no. he's got a he's got an assembly, whereas DeSantis has a, a state house that is that is basically his to run. Um, he, mm-hmm. he can basically drive his agenda in his state house. Um, Youngkin doesn't have that. Youngkin's Youngkin's assembly is is um, slightly slightly democratic, if I recall correctly, um, and so. So that's fair enough, but I also think um, that that uh, he's been relatively unambitious in mm-hmm. his uh, um, uh, in his attempts uh, there. But um, but anyway, so yeah, I've um, I got out of the uh, prediction business in 2015 um, just in time. Um, <laughs> although not really because one of, one of my last big bad predictions was, eh, this, Trump's going to fizzle out. Um, so, and, uh, but I made now four years a, later, you're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, in the long run. Um, so, um, uh, but, uh, but uh but yeah the um so i i made a series of bad predictions in 2015 um uh because there were several elections in canada and and the primaries in the us um and i i um i uh was writing um quite a bit about politics at the time and uh and so i had a series of very well documented complete whiffs um, <laughs> um, and uh and yeah. so got out of the prediction game then but let me state um as a as a don't call me crazy if <laughs> um i think the republicans win the hispanic vote um in this next presidential election I, I I wouldn't be surprised if they do it on on this congressional ballot, mm-hmm. um, but that that might be that I, I really really that uh, depends on the local candidates well, and how they run and well, and and so forth. Yeah. But I mean, you look at it. The um, only reason the Hispanics were in the Democrats. Uh, democratic pocket is because of the immigration issue and they would just i think it was it was sort of a self-preservation thing like because everyone's always like it's always been kind of the comment of like you know what's interesting is mostly hispanic mostly catholic or if not catholic pentecostal uh hispanic families have to are, are far more conservative in their social values and so probably have more in common with the republican party it was just sort of a as long as at least the first generation immigrants were on American soil, there was more of a of a voting and self defense sort of thing. But once that's no longer as much of an issue because either the first either the first generation has been national national naturalized or or they have enough of a you know their their children are growing up here and their citizens that are born here and stuff like that like this it's not going to be well suddenly when that issue goes away the immigration issue isn't as much of an issue for them well now what are they going to be well they're republicans like they're like you know the the stereotypical stereotypical hispanic work ethic sort of thing right like well i mean that sounds like republican work ethic that sounds like you know republican uh thing for you know manual workers tend to be more republican uh religiously seriously religious families tend to be more republican family values tend to be more republican like there's there's a sense in which this does kind of eventually like it it does it makes a lot of sense for second and third generation hispanics to become a a pretty dependable republican voting block now i mean you know you can you can come back around and be like, you know, yeah, but but a different kind of Republican, you know, there's you can still have the immigration debate and, and, and like the culture debate. But I don't know. I don't know. Like, I'm again, like I I, I, I vacillate but, on that so much, but it's but, but it's Trump, clear that it's going to become Trump a, made ground with <laughs> Trump made ground with. His that is what. So I don't even think I understand. Well, I, and I don't I think, think I even understand that pre pre COVID. He had a blazing economy and. Hispanics are almost twice as likely to own a small business as, um, yeah, but even before 
He was like in his in his running, he made great ground with Hispanics in his first election. Like when immigration was one of his major platforms. Like that's a fascinating yeah. thing. Uh, and maybe that is an, an issue that like you know once some of the a lot of the Hispanic population has become natu- naturalized, they've started. I don't know, owning the country a little bit more and being like, yeah, yeah, we should keep our culture. <laughs> like, they're, I don't know. It's, it's well, like they become naturalized and, in so many different ways. <laughs> and in as much, in as much as if they are still doing these sorts of jobs that new immigrants do, then the people who will be displaced, if there's a big ground, big swell of new immigration, will be the people doing the jobs that new immigrants tend to do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so there is a there is yeah. a bit of a self-preservation That's, there that is interesting yeah man it's i don't know electoral politics are fascinating and a lot of fun um especially when you're you have less of your life riding on it like this where well yeah i, I found that American i've had more politics. fun following politics since becoming an anarchist than i did before like before it was like so like do or die now it's like you know the state is evil but this is a lot of fun <laughs> yeah well, American politics is a lot more fun for me as an anarchist and Canadian. <laughs> than, than <laughs> True, where it's it's just it's 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 just it's basically sports. Um, it's like, and, um, yeah, except, except that I like ex- it. Except, except uh, fairly closely related to what I do for a living, and therefore yeah. <laughs> still still um, still useful to useful to follow and 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 trains the mind uh, for for my day job. But I did yeah. have two quick points about that is so this the other sneaky thing I think that's happening in the Hispanic population in the U.S. is that they're becoming evangelical, broadly speaking, at an incredibly yeah. high rate. Yeah. Um, and uh, huh. um, and and so uh, and I think I think that switch from that switch from being Catholic, where when you think about it, um, if you're a Catholic in California or in Florida or, or in Texas or in Arizona, the, um, the likelihood that, that your church is being super clear on the life issue, for instance, yeah. and putting that front and center, I'd say is relatively lower than yeah. in an evangelical church in the same states, sure. right? So I think, I think that that and and even and maybe not from the pulpit even, but just just in the pews hanging out after the service, like yeah, like I, I don't know, I don't know how normal this is because. Um, um, I think the observer effect is significant, especially since I'm not really so much of an observer as someone who tends to drive the conversations that I'm in. But um, like in the pews after the service at my church, talking about abortion is not uncommon. Um, we we talk about abortion a lot. Um, and I, I wonder if that's just I wonder if that's just a cultural difference between uh, between Catholic and evangelical churches mm-hmm. that is accounting mm-hmm. for some of this move um, on, on the part of the Hispanic population. And then, and then the other thing that has to be said is that a lot of the voting patterns that were expected from quote unquote Hispanics were of Mexican immigrants in California specifically. And that's and that's the pattern that people were observing. Um, as as you're getting Hispanics from other parts of the Latin American world, and um, as they are going to places other than California, and most importantly, as the last Republican governor of California, whose name escapes me, but who was preventing illegal immigrants from getting driver's licenses and from going to college and from and 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 so he was he was really he was really seen as having a vindictive uh vindictive streak against illegal immigrants like leaving aside leaving aside 
that whole question of of um, whether that would be appropriate. Um, it, it, the it was perceived as it was perceived as a vindictiveness, a hatred of Hispanics, of of yes, of illegal immigrants, but really, really, you just don't like people named Martinez. Was kind of I think how it was how it was perceived, and so that drove that drove those voting patterns in a big way. Whereas I think again, you're, you're seeing this overplaying the hand on the left where, um, where when, when the, the democratic party platform on immigration is way to the left of your average Hispanic American, the, the democratic party platform on reparations is to the left of the average African-American. <laughs> the Democratic Party platform on, you know, pick your topic that is supposedly relevant to a minority group, it's, it's affluent white liberals who are driving, um, who are driving the policy there. Not, Specifically which gender? Not, <laughs> mostly females i would say yeah um affluent white uh, female liberals yeah 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 um <laughs> spell that out uh, it'll be a lot of yeah. fun and, and, and so um no i'm not thinking of jerry brown jerry brown was a jerry brown was a democrat, uh, a democrat I, yeah. i'm trying to I'm, I'm trying to remember the last uh last republican it was john um john something he he Anyway, I, I'm fairly certain he was the last Republican. Anyway, um, but um, um, but yeah. So, so I I think there I think there has been a little bit of a backlash where, um, where because, um, uh, because it it's gotten so far so like. At the last at the last Democratic presidential debate, you'd be hard pressed to find someone who didn't want to just abolish all immigration law, abolish ICE, like, and that's just not what most <laughs> that's not yeah. what most people who live near the border, yeah, which by definition is most immigrants from across the southern southern border <laughs> most people who live near the border don't want that because they know yeah. how freaking dangerous that would be <laughs> yeah 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 um yeah. and so anyway so so i think I, I i think that's uh a big part of what's driving it i think also like the overreaction to trump i think i think drove it uh somewhat um so yeah i think uh um, but I do think that genuinely, um, I do think that Trump being out of the way gives more growth potential <laughs> to the Republican party on this as well. Right. Um, yeah. and so, uh, so anyway, I, I, again, just as, just as someone who's sort of watching it as sports, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, that's a, that's kind of my take. You know, speaking of things that are like reality, but not exactly reality, uh, we're starting oh, a new Pete, book. Pete, Pete Wilson is exactly who I was thinking of. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Patrick. Um, we're starting Pete a new Wilson, book, 90, though. 1994. We this are. Is, yeah. It's called Uriel's Revenge by David Room. And not Rumi. Don't try and pronounce it that Room. way. Don't be silly and pronounce it that way. It's not Ruma. No, no. Come on. It's Room. Guys, it's Room. We all we knew this. I've known this all along. It's Room. Uh, I've never once pronounced it incorrectly. Uh, <laughs> don't you dare accuse me of it otherwise. So, uh, <laughs> I have the best words. <laughs> so, we are starting this. Uriel's Revenge, and we are... We're taking it two chapters per week. We're going to do it over preambling. So if you're wanting to keep up with us, now would be a great time for you to pause the episode 
and go buy it on Amazon Kindle for three dollars. Now that's American dollars. Uh, I don't know know what the translation to Canada is, and I don't care because it's silly Canadian money, and I don't care what its value is. Uh, this is America. Our our money is the only money that matters. Get your rubles out of here. If you're if you're an immigrant, that's the red one. You want to send you want to send one of the red ones to now. <laughs> that joke that joke cannot possibly do as well uh, because the red one is the the red one is the fifty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. Anyway, uh, so we started this book by by David Room, Uriel's Revenge. It's a sci-fi. It's called a sci-fi horror novel, which I'm like, I. Okay, so I'm excited, but also a little bit terrified. Um, which is honestly uh, most people's attitude in beginning this uh, this podcast. Um, so, but, but I'll what, tell you what gave me. I'll t- tell you what what tipped me over into horror. Possibly Pentecostalism. That's what got me. It's, there might be there might be some <laughs> continuationism in this book. I've and I'm say, terrified. I'm terrified. <laughs> but but you know, <laughs> I am open but terrified. <laughs> I I was commenting on how I I was commenting on Twitter though. I'm just so excited that finally I'm reading a sci-fi book where I get the inside jokes. Uh yeah. because <laughs> David is is definitely writing from a Christian perspective and not not just uh not in the sense that like he's not like beating you over the head but there are like references that Christians get um like for instance um one of the ships is named the Luther uh one of, he's got three ships one of them is called the Strider which I'm going to go out on a limb and think that that is called yeah. Lord of the Rings reference uh yeah. And uh, (laughs) another one, it's called the Luther, the Luther. The last one is called, I'm I'm trying to remember the name of the the third ship they have have is called. um, um, The Captain Summerfield. Yeah, which I had to Google that. And I think it's a Doctor Who reference. I don't, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) This is where we've left my area of expertise. So, uh, but, um, but like there's little references. Yeah. Like a cow. He's got a, a. it says um, a Calvinesque beard uh, is, is oh, yeah. uh, one a uh, uh, bird. I think it is. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Bird. There's two characters, Elwood and Bird. Brian is kind of. It seems to be the main character whose whose main perspective we're we're coming from. And Bird and Elwood are like a couple. Uh, I, I picture them as kind of squabbling older men. And uh, like Bird is a Baptist, Elwood is a Presbyterian, and that's when I knew that we were reading fiction. A Baptist and a Presbyterian who are friends. What? <laughs> uh, but also, I think one of them, um, I believe, Bird is continuationist, and El or Elwood is Bird a cessationist. Is the Baptist it's also a, a continuation. Yeah, a reference to that. And, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and like, yeah, like I said, that um, uh, Bird is growing a Calvinesque beard. Is, is is what they call it. So you know the. Uh, the the pointy beard, um, and uh, let's see. This, I'm trying to remember if there's any other references to it, but um, but yeah, this this was re- what's really interesting. I, I did a lot of highlighting. Um, he's got like interesting way of saying things. Um, yeah, okay. Apparently, it's a Doctor companion from Doctor Who. Okay, sure. Uh, yeah. uh-huh. Okay. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I don't know anything about that. Um, but um but the way that, that technology kind of works in this world is kind of interesting. It's kind of a a combination of of uh like like there's there's this uh he has a fun way of using words. Like he taught uh in, in right away Brian connects his computer to the systems of the ship itself, and it says lights blinked as the systems shook hands. Like that was a very, I thought that was a really interesting way of, of, of phrasing. Like basically he's saying that the systems are starting to sync in the way that you, I guess you could, the way I kind of picture it is kind of like the way a, a, a Bluetooth device oh, kind of sure. lines up. Um, but, but like, 
he he's in, explaining, and of course, I've I've never been very good. This is part of what makes sci-fi kind of a, a a trudge for me is I've never been good at figuring out the technology and stuff like the the details and stuff like that, especially in sci-fi writing, is sometimes hard for me to follow. Um, but but he it seems pretty straight, not straightforward so much, but like he explains it pretty well the way. Um, it's it's kind of shield rings and uh, there's there's sort of a gravitational like force field that the, like that's how the ships run and, and it's I don't know I I, I thought it was it, he didn't get into the details too much he got into it enough that I think those who are interested in that sort of thing can can find something interesting whereas me I'm just like okay that's interesting I'm, okay let me let's move on to the story I don't really care about that but um. Yeah, so I think it's, it's something. There's something for both of us in that way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and I, I've said, yeah. I've said, I like, I've said when we were talking about um, the sort of magic systems and stuff like that in fantasy, I prefer, I prefer my fantasy a little more hard, where the rules make a little more sense um, or are more spelled out and and um, punning pun and very I, much intended. Yeah, and I do. Uh, I do feel that way about sci-fi too. But I, I'm going to be honest; like that's one of the reasons I like fantasy a little more than sci-fi. Usually, is because um, when sci-fi does that, it requires a lot of technical babble that I can't yeah. follow. <laughs> yeah, and and so so yeah. No, I'm happy so far with the uh, with the level of techno babble. It's enough. It's enough to where it's like um, you're. I can tell you're establishing I can tell you're establishing rules that are going to yeah. to to where to where you know I shouldn't expect a ship to hurtle into another galaxy based on the based on the tech you've described right yeah so you've got rules that limit <laughs> yeah how the technology right. can work um yeah. but we don't have to get into exactly how many newtons of force are generated yeah. by each each engine or whatever <laughs> yeah and and, pa and patrick who's also reading along with us says he likes that he doesn't explain the whole entire world to you right away you know lets me get into the story and prepares oh, me to figure out what's going on and i thought that was, it was very that was a good point too it was very in media res for sure and yeah and and your your point of view character is kind of is kind of brian who literally just wakes up in the middle of it. <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. You're, the, the character that is the point of view character for you yeah. is being woken up and thrown into this situation, which, which I thought yeah. was a nice, nice touch. Yeah. It makes it, it makes it more. And of course, you know, like everybody that's like, like every writing teacher of any kind says a media race, a media race, a media race start in the middle of the action. Like that's, which literally means in the middle of the river, I believe if I, if I remember right back from my, uh, writing major days, which I have so carefully blocked out of my mind. Um, but, but like, you know, basically it means you start in the middle of the story. Don't explain too much at the beginning. And yet at the same time, you have to, you have to be careful about that because if it's too in media race, if you drop them down in the middle of rapids, then people are going to get too confused and, and they're going to be like, okay, I don't know what's going on. So I'm out. Uh, and so you have to be careful not to overdo the, like, the, like you're in the middle of the action you've got to have a little bit of explanation on the way and that's where it's useful to have kind of a guy who is less experienced on the team so that he can kind yeah. of stand in for the for the reader and brian in some ways is that guy even though he is not entirely that way at least in these first two chapters he's a little bit that way where he's like let me let me catch you up on this like you know he, he or, or he'll ask questions um yeah, 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 yeah. He's not a new crew member, so there's no exposition dump, as Patrick says. Um, but there is some explaining some of the uh, acronyms, or acronyms. Yeah, yeah. So like, um, the because the big thing is they're looking for a ship. the 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 beginning of this is we find this is a crew of three: uh, Bird, Elwood, and Brian. And what they do is, is as they say, is uh, their most of their work is privateering. They say, but their real passion is treasure hunting. So, uh, privateering. Um, I'm I'm assuming we're gonna say you know that's pi that's piracy or um. It seems it like they're also talking a little bit about government sanctioned piracy. 
Yeah. So like, but there's also so like, like it seems like so like the guys on the side of the road with a radar gun, that kind of. Thing. <laughs> but there's also some <laughs> sense of I, I think he's also there seems to be some uh maybe some uh private security sort of thing, um but yeah. and but his his real pro, uh, passion is what he calls treasure hunting. Now of course this is a common sort of uh, sci-fi trope, which is to take the whole um to take uh seafaring language and apply it to um ships and you know like like it's even such like to such an extent that like people people don't think about it anymore because star wars has been in our vernacular for so long but you know they're called admirals not captains right. of the ship like you know like the, they're called admirals of the ship so that the, they're they're not generals or admirals so that's that's a reference to to maritime um leadership yeah and so um but what but, yeah sweet even calling oh, yeah fleet. a group of station fleet <laughs> absolutely absolutely um but but they're looking for this one ship that 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 um elwood has kind of he's kind of keeping this whole trip kind of close to the vest he's not letting out too much but he's he's leading the crew out and he's like there's a ship that that we're going to find at this one location and uh he says the main reason i want to take a look though is that i think it's e o e which um, it stands for the uh, wh wh where is it again the uh, esoteric oh. order of the engineer. Yes, esoteric order of the engineer, which is simultaneously mystical and technological, which is fascinating. Well, he he uh, describes later that they're a bit of a death cult, at least in the brass. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Which, which makes sense of that name. Yeah. Yeah. Um and so yeah, the, the he and but he's keeping the information close to his vest, but he's saying there's uh he's got information and and they got to get there quick. That's why they're leaving at like 4 in the morning in order to uh at, uh try and um get to the place before anyone else did. Um and so then they they get close and yet there's no there's no ship there. There's no ship at the location that they're 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 landing at. Um, so they're they're just kind of mapping out the ground because uh, they're doing some 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 map. That's that's one of the interesting things that the, the ships do is sort of a, a it's like a I don't know some sort of mapping thing that they do, um, uh, like like taking taking readings and feeding it into their computer and, and mapping it out that way. So they're mapping the area and yet there's no ship there and yet. And so, so it's, it's interesting. Uh, Brian says it says Brian. He glanced at Elwood, expecting him to look frustrated or confused, but his face was hard. Just wait, he said. And then suddenly, they see there's a ship starts coming on the horizon, and it is the very ship that Elwood was describing. And eventually, he they get, they get out of him that it's it's not that he had information on a ship. He had a dream about this ship. Like he he had a vision about this ship, and and that's where they they bring up the fact that like Bert, Bird doesn't immediately dismiss it because Bird is actually the continuationist, but Elwood is the is the, the cessationist, and so um it's oh, yeah, I like Paul's touch where it it was a sign of his respect that he doesn't rub it in. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, that was really good too. Yeah, um, yeah, and and yeah, Bird was the call. Also, I, I love that he the, he slides in. It's not just that he's uh, a cessationist and a Pentecostal, it's that he's a cautious continuationist. Like, I like okay, like I again, I love that I understand the inside jokes of this one, <laughs> but um, but yeah, they they this ship touches down, and this gets into the second uh chapter. And, um, and so they, they decide to, um, well, for one thing, sure enough, there's the EOE banner that the symbol of the, the, uh, order of and the, the, uh, I'm never going to get that right. The esoteric, esoteric order. order of the engineer. <laughs> there we go. EOE esoteric order. Of the engineer, there's their banners on the ship and they get in there and they find a bloody mess. A bunch of of dead people, and their their weapons are all kind of piled up in the corner. And they find uh, 
a hooded green cloaked figure. And uh, they 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 point his guns their guns at him and and uh, he puts his hands in his air and says, "I'm not armed, I promise." He had, and he had a German accent and he was short of breath. So German accent, of course, you know Luther German accent. Well done. Um, but uh, but as it as it turns out, this is a man named Eric. So it's the fourth character that's been kind of a mainish character. You know who knows what. Uh, but um. They, I think he's the one who tells them that it's a death cult. He's the one who tells them it's a death cult. And he has been undercover in this, um, uh, in this organization. And it says, and yeah, yeah. He's the one who says the order is a death cult. And, uh, Brian asked, they want to kill themselves. No, they want to kill everyone else. Eric paused. Um, and, uh, it says the thing we were searching for compass has been mapping Saturn's rings for seven years was never named to those of us in the lower ranks. Once we found it, they spoke more freely and they talked as if it was a super weapon, the vector of the apocalypse, etc. The inner circle has its own religious lexicon. I don't know what it means that they began using to describe it. They called it the sepulcher of Titus. It's interesting, like it's a sepul that sepulchre, sepulchre, like it's like the sepulchre, of course, is where the dead bodies get put. Um, sepulchre, I don't know, he's, he's 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 there's some kind of a play on words there. I'm sure we'll, we'll get it as we go on. And the inheritance of Ar Dazira, one of the three great archons, the engineer. I knew I couldn't let them have it. It was a difficult decision, but it seemed like destroying Compass was the best way to contain it. And so he, Eric. Took control of the vessel and purposely crashed it, and that's how um, these guys found it. Um, and so they 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 take Eric because Eric is gonna help them find this thing. And so they 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 take a uh, they, they they take the information from the ship and and head back to their own ship and take off um, to try and get away from the ship. But yeah, it's uh. The way I'm describing it, of course, you know, like you, what what I love, it is, it is very like, it's a very action packed couple of chapters. Like it, it's, um, sure. I expected at least a little bit of exposition, but there really is none in the first two chapters. And so holding off on that is, is very, I think, um, catchy. It really, it really grabs you. And, and so, um, uh, so far, two chapters in, strongly recommend. Um, you're not far behind if you want to join us for the next couple uh, episodes. You can, go, again, go to Amazon.com. We will, we're linking in the description. You can buy it for three bucks. That's all. Three measly dollars uh, that you can throw in the direction of someone who does not hate you. Because I know uh, we've, we've, we've met uh, Katie and David uh, electronically. Um, and uh, so far, it seems clear they don't hate us. So definitely go support their work, and uh, you can join us. The first two chapters are not too long. They're 16 pages uh, or 17 pages, according to my Kindle numer numericaling. And uh, and then we're going to get started on chapter three for next week. Three and four for next week. You know, gonna do two chapters. My Kindle, told, my Kindle, I think, told me it took me 26 minutes to read the first two chapters. So... You're yeah. not far behind. <laughs> um, and I was going, I was, I had to reread it. So, <laughs> so you could probably do it quicker than I did. Um, but yeah, we're going to be starting a chapter three, um, uh, next week, three and four. And of course, uh, as Patrick mentioned in the chat, um, episode 169 cave to the cross, uh, episode 169, they interview Katie room and it's a very, uh, very interesting interview. Really interesting. Um, uh, yeah. So go go check that out. Grab the book. Join us for chapters three and four next week. And uh, is there anything else? Were we going to do AMA or? Yeah, let's 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 do uh, let's do a couple AMAs. Um, we're gonna do it really quickly. Um, 
the first we we picked two from Patrick um that we honestly were like this isn't going to take long for us to answer so so we could probably <laughs> answer both at once so I'm going to ask you both at once um the question first question is what's the most radical position you hold and how do you deal with a crisis of faith if you have them and and of course I I gesture as such because what's the most radical position that I hold I'm, I'm pretty sure the anarchism is it <laughs> like like you get you get beyond the uh you get beyond the the anarchism i'm very uh very very normal <laughs> yeah uh I, in fact i, I yeah. kind of pride myself on my lack of originality and radicalness when it comes to other things i i'm i'm just seeking to follow the great tradition of uh the faith and follow the word as it's been faithfully exposited um by the by lovers of the word throughout church history and yeah so i was like the most radical position i hold is definitely the anarchism that's that's the only thing that i'm like uh if i have a weird view this is it <laughs> um yeah likewise like yeah. yeah i'm pretty aggressively normal um yeah. <laughs> uh beyond beyond that yeah i mean i mean the only other thing is maybe my uh, view of Christology is a little bit is I wouldn't say it's abnormal. It's more like I don't know a lot of people who have thought about um, pneumatic Christology. Like it's not like it, when I describe it, most people are like, "Oh, okay, that makes sense." Um, but it's like uh, on first blush, if I just state it all, <laughs> all bold, boldly up front without explaining it, it, that that maybe is something that people are like, "Huh." Um, I think partially because there's some heretics have used a version of it for their own purposes. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say those. And, and so there's not much to say on that one, but I would say, how do you deal? Okay. How do you deal with the crisis of faith? If you have them, um, this one's a short answer for me because the, 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 the frank truth is how do I deal with the crisis of faith? Usually by spiraling. Um, I don't handle crisis of faith very well. Like I'm, I'm not like, um, I wish I could say I had a well-adjusted sort of thing, but when, when I feel shaken in some sense, I, a lot of times will end up, um, just sort of spiraling, spiraling a little bit, not, but, but I wish I don't mean like f crisis of faith in, in Christ. I, I don't have too much of that. Um, I've, I've. I feel pretty settled in my faith and in my belief in Jesus Christ as the crucified and resurrected one and the word of God. Um, for me, crisis of faith usually happen more along the lines of, I feel the Lord leading me in a certain direction. And then if something happens that kind of, you know, throws a, a wrench in the works, then I, I can sometimes spiral a little bit. Um, and, and, and if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see that that's a lot of times when I will do a, do a sort of uh hail Mary, call for prayer sort of thing. Um, not literal Hail Mary, not Papus, but, uh, you know, uh, I'll throw out a, a call for prayer and, and, um, but I also, I will also say that I, I bounce back from these crises of faith pretty quickly. Um, in, in many ways, I think I have sort of, you know, uh, a, I don't know. Strong faith always sounds like so in, impressive, but really it's just that um, I worry has never been my thing. Like anxiety is not really a thing that I, I have to, I have to deal with. It's not really a sin or temptation that I, or, or a struggle that I really have to deal with that much. I, I spiral for a little bit. I get some prayer and then I kind of just bounce back. So, yeah. Probably because I'm an unemotional yeah, so, robot. <laughs> um, I guess, okay, my answer is a little different, which is not to say that had I approached the question the same way, you would have, that I, that I wouldn't have come out saying roughly the same thing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, but, but I had, I'd already thought out my answer and it's really just, um, lean into the means of grace yeah oh yeah like, oh yeah <laughs> like uh um, i call for prayer so yeah. i'm sorry that's why i call for prayer yeah 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, so, uh, and and for for a Baptist, the the means of grace are are uh, baptism itself, uh, communion, um, the uh, uh, the proclaimed word. Let's say mm-hmm. most specifically, but but the reading of the word also. The word uh-huh. read and proclaimed, and, yeah, mm-hmm. and 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 prayer, um, and uh, and so yes, so so calling for prayer is absolutely absolutely appropriate. Um, uh, leaning on the significance of baptism is mm-hmm. is not wrong, just because yeah. we've we've seen some theologies rise up that uh maybe do that in a in an overly uh um in in maybe an overly realized way doesn't mean uh uh doesn't mean that that leaning on the significance of of baptism and uh uh and remembering that you've been marked out as one of Christ's own that that you are hidden with Christ and God, um, that, uh, uh, and then, and then here's the thing is, I think, I think lots of young men in particular, they, they get into a crisis of faith and they lash out and they have unsettled sin with other people. Mm-hmm. And so they don't take communion. And then inevitably next week, hopefully you're doing weekly communion, communion, but okay, next month, God forbid, next year, um, then, um, then somehow, you know, their tender conscience remembers that they are, that they have uh, unresolved conflict, unconfessed sin with a brother before the next time you have communion too and so on and so on and so on mm-hmm. and like yeah the devil's running a play on you bro like like and, um at a certain point you need to do everything you can to be prepared to confidently uh take the body and blood of your savior um and because as a Christian, that's your birthright. <laughs> you, you, it, it's, it's it, that you must um, partake, and it is extremely important. Um, way, way underestimated how important that is to your ongoing sex, sanctification. Um, and um, um, and no, I can't explain it entirely because God didn't explain it entirely to me, but I know it works. Um, and then, yeah, obviously the reading of the word of God, but the reason I emphasize the hearing of the word of God is because, um, I feel like that's the one you're more likely to neglect when you're in a spiral. Um, uh, and, uh, and then obviously as we've already covered prayer, asking others for prayer praying uh, spending spending time in prayer modeling um, modeling after the psalmist how you can how you can pray to God and even get a little snarky with God without sin um, but also maybe more importantly how in prayer you can talk to your own soul and ask yourself why are you downcast oh my soul remember God, <laughs> like, and, and so forth, right? Like, um, uh, so, so the Psalms model well, how to, uh, how to, how to talk to God, how to talk to yourself when you're in a spiral. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, that's, um, and so, and the spiritual, spiritual disciplines generally, which is why I think I've said, but if I haven't, I'll say it now that, um, uh, when I don't desire God, probably the sneaky best book Piper ever wrote, mm. because um, when you are in a spiral, you're probably not going to 
pick up a book called The Spiritual Disciplines, um, <laughs> but um, and, which is basically what that book is. Um, but uh, um, but but you might pick up a book called When I Don't Desire God, and um, and and yeah. then be pushed towards the spiritual disciplines, which is in fact what you need. Yeah. When you don't desire God, which um, we're going to link. <laughs> I'm going to link that that book in the description. Um, and also, I want to point out, like if you're looking at it on the screen right now, um, it's it's available for download for free download. You, it's a PDF. You can get a, a PDF of this um, from from Desire and God. Here's the deal: John Piper gives away so many of his books. Now, probably yeah. most of that has to do with his weird view on money, which we might be getting into sometime soon. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. but that's a great. It, it means it's it's a. A, a great Josh and resource. I had a production meeting not on air for once. Secrets. <laughs> yeah, but but like that's a great it is a it's yeah, it's a great resource. They have so many resources um for free online. And when I don't desire God um is definitely one of them. Um and I found there's another one that I really like uh, about the spiritual disciplines. Um called habits of grace and this is not by uh i've talked before about um uh you know that there's sort of the the, the I, don't, I don't know if i've talked about it on air but there's these uh people who uh in many ways are heirs to piper's legacy uh here we go uh habits of grace i'm gonna zoom in just so i can move it over a little bit so habits of grace by david mathis Ah, uh, maybe zoom out because you can't get it all in um how's a grace by David Mathis. And as you can tell, I'm looking at another PDF from desiringgod.org. You can buy the paper copy. I have uh, the paper copy and uh, I took my, um, some of my leaders and my ministry through it. And it is a phenomenal book as well on the spiritual disciplines. Um, uh, just, yeah, so good. And, um, Yeah. So we're th those are yeah again great books um to to get into and uh and yeah anything more talk about uh well there just I'd, I'd be remiss not to mention there is a Donald Whitney book on the spiritual oh, disciplines yeah. that was um that was extremely helpful to me one of the most helpful books I was actually assigned in seminary <laughs> <laughs> um, um, uh, I took a class, I think, with Donald Whitney, if I recall correctly, and uh, and he assigned his own book because why not? Um, and uh, um, uh, but it was it was genuinely, genuinely, truly helpful. Um, and uh, uh, spiritual disciplines uh, for the read... Christian life. Oh, that's the one. That's the one. Spiritual right. disciplines for the Christian life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and so. Um, so yeah, that was, um, that was, that was a very helpful, um, very helpful one as well. Yeah, probably, probably the, the two books I was assigned in seminary that I have gone back to the most are that one. And the only one that beats it is the big picture story Bible, um, which was assigned to me in seminary. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, oh yeah, that's the one. That's the one. It was yeah, that one was good. So, um, I don't think there's anything else. So, enough with the preambling. Let's get to the show. This has been preambling. To hear the rest of the episode, tune in to Anarchist Bible Study episode fifty-seven. Grace and peace.